Well, good morning to those of you online at West Tonka, Bush Lake, and those of you here at Chanhassen. So good to see you. I'm Laura Gilbertson. I'm part of the teaching team. And if we haven't met before, if you're new and we haven't met, uh, hello. It's been a while since I've been here. It's been about a year since my last message, so I'm really glad to meet some of you and to see other familiar faces again. Uh, I haven't been around as much because part of my uh, last several months has been um, working on a research project, uh, learning about how churches have adapted to the pandemic. So it's been very interesting, but that means I'm spending uh, each Sunday in different churches, so I'll have to share some of that with you uh, someday. But um, there are lots of interesting questions, I think, research questions that emerged during the last two years as we think about social behavior, right, and just how we respond to crisis and difficulty. So um, that's one research question, but if you're like me, and you like to think about these kinds of things and wonder why. One of the really interesting things to me was how over the last uh, couple of years because of the pandemic and so forth, there was um, sort of this, this fascinating move towards trying to find ways, seeking new ways to bring joy to our lives in the midst of the crisis, right? It felt like there was this collective longing for an anchoring joy that could sustain us through the crisis as well as the unknown future. And so in our longing for joy, we started baking bread right? Uh, I don't know if anybody else uh, started doing that, but that was like the first couple weeks of the pandemic, I was baking bread. I think my kids still expect banana bread every week, uh, as though we're still in that first crisis mode. And then in later waves, um, I don't know about you, but we became obsessed with our word puzzles. Wordle, anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Uh, so we had these things that, that popped up, um, which I still love, but I think collectively, we have accepted that sourdough bread and wordle, as fun as they are, don't provide anchoring joy and lasting contentment. The desire for a renewing, sort of fulfilling joy that can weather any circumstance is still deeply needed in our world. And it's that kind of joy that we're going to be thinking about this morning. So this summer, we're in a sermon series called Up. Ascending Through the Psalms. And these are a set of psalms that were sung uh, by God's people as they made their way up to Jerusalem for religious festivals every year. So these annual pilgrimages likely had a way of emotionally reconnecting people to their memories of God and how God had led them out of uh, slavery in Egypt, how God had provided for them in the wilderness, and then more recently, closer to um, the writing of the psalm, when God had brought them home after being in exile in Babylon. And so we know that the vast majority of these pilgrims had lives that were filled with daily hardships, right? Their lives were not easy. So as they walked, they sang together on these paths up to Jerusalem, and they longed for confidence in God's power to be restored in their lives. And so it was from a very real place of personal struggle and hope in God that their songs, we now get to sing and they capture our common experiences of the life of faith. So we've encountered songs about um, finding strength, about navigating insecurities. And today we hear their song about joy in the midst of difficulty. 
And so I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with me, and we're going to read together Psalm 126. It's not very long, so let's uh, read it, and then we'll talk about it together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. You can have a seat. Thanks so much. So let's take a look at some of the details of this psalm and let's kind of try to imagine why it was so meaningful for these pilgrims to sing as they were making their journey into Jerusalem. So the very first line of the psalm, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Now, Zion is used interchangeably with Jerusalem. So this opening, um, this opening text, it might be referring to when the Israelites were able to return to Jerusalem um, after uh, uh, being exiled in Babylon. So it might be that, or perhaps it's just some other broad um, experience of God's goodness because that broad context allows the singers to look back in history at a time when the Lord restored their fortune. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word fortune, I think like a lot of money, right? Do you think wealth, fortune sounds like wealth? However, that phrase, restore our fortunes, is a tricky to translate phrase that's used repeatedly in the Old Testament, and it's especially used in the prophetic books, to describe a radical change in life circumstances when God's anger or wrath was warranted, but then God showed mercy or favor instead. And I think our English language captures this a little bit when we say, like, oh, I feel fortunate. We don't mean I feel wealthy. We feel, often will mean, like, I feel lucky. Uh, but in the Old Testament, it wasn't luck. They talked about God. It was God who was understood to be directing the unexpected shifts in life. And so for that reason, uh, some Bible translations will um, translate that first phrase in the psalm as when the Lord restored our lives instead of restored our fortunes. So they're remembering a time when God's grace interrupted the expected course of disaster and instead God showed mercy. And the Lord was just so surprisingly generous that they were filled with laughter and joy, right? And that joy is what we've sung now throughout the ages. So as we look at the first half of the psalm, we see that Psalm 126 first sings of joyful memories of God's past faithfulness, right? So it begins by thinking about how merciful and good God has been in the past. But what we're going to find out is that that is not what the psalmist is feeling at the moment. Joy is not the present feeling. Instead, uh, the, the psalmist is looking ahead instead to this anticipated joy because of a current season of need. So it's God's past faithfulness and anticipating joy in a current season of need. 
Now, we don't know exactly what this particular struggle was that was being faced at the moment. It's one of the reasons the Psalms are timeless, right? But we know that there's some kind of hardship, and joy is hard to come by. And because these psalm singers remember the goodness of God in the past, they're inspired to petition God again to bring renewal in their time of need. And that is the theological message of Psalm 126. That's it. Because God has been faithful in the past, we can trust him with our future, which brings us joy today, right? Joy is possible because God is with us yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Psalm 126 uh, communicates that message through imagery. Um, And the imagery that it uses is the imagery of rains coming to the dry, wadi riverbeds in the Negev. So when we read that part together, you might have thought, what am I saying here? Uh, So let me uh, explain it, because sometimes uh, us Minnesotans, we're not as familiar with some of the landscape um, that's used in Scripture. So that region that's described in this psalm um, is uh, very, very, very dry in the summer months. So in the summer months, um, I actually looked this up on online, weather.com helped me out here, zero rain for three months, just zero. And I know our lawns are looking a little rough right now, um, but nothing like this region, right? Because the land becomes totally parched. So I actually have a photograph of what these dry riverbeds uh, in the Negev will look like. The brooks and the streams completely dry up and there's a desperate need for water. And so this image of dry riverbeds in the Negev is how Psalm 126 describes what it feels like when joy dries up. Right? We just feel lifeless. And we wonder how beauty could ever emerge from what feels like empty, dry ground. So if that image captures how you are feeling today, I hope it's meaningful you, meaningful for you to know um, that you are not alone in your feelings of weariness, that people who love God feel that way sometimes. They do today and they have throughout history. Yet consider the point that the psalmist is making about those dry riverbeds. Because verse four says, restore our fortunes or restore our hope, restore our lives like streams in the Negev because every winter rains return to the region, right? So I have a picture of this too, what it looks like when the rains come in the winter and the dry riverbeds fill with water and bring new colorful life to the surrounding landscape and they nourish the crops. So this water brings renewed life, it brings beauty in the place that seemed dead for months. And that's the prayer that they're singing, right? They're they're singing, Lord, bring new life to the places that feel beyond hope. Restore that life-giving joy that we lack and that only you can provide. Now, we have had some really hot days lately, so maybe it's not too hard to imagine what that desert landscape is like, but we could kind of rewrite this psalm to help us by thinking about our Minnesota winters, right? It's, it's July now, but it isn't hard if you've lived here very long to remember what February is like, um, right? So if we think about February and we know how those long, bitter, cold days just drain color. It just drains the color around us and it drains that feeling of life and the extra hours of darkness feel like they will never end, right? And it, it's very difficult. So imagine that, what that feels like in February. It's probably not too hard if you've lived here long. And then think about what it feels like in May when you start to see the little green buds, right? Every little leaf that starts to poke out, every little flower 
it's joy, right? Even if you have allergies, we're excited. We're so happy at the sign of life that is emerging and it feels like a miracle. And that's the kind of soul restoration that this psalm longs for. It's God, renew our life, renew our joy because we're just beaten down by months of despair. People who aren't from Minnesota, um, they have asked me in total sincerity, how can you live there, right? Like, is this even inhabitable? Um, well, here's the thing about seasons. They're dependable, right? No matter how brutal our winter is, we know it is going to get green again. If we've lived here long enough, we know that it's coming. And so it's that same confidence that the psalmist is describing when we think about God's faithful character. No matter what things look like now, God will be with us and bring life again. And when we trust God that way, like, like we know that he's working in the midst of our frozen tundra of a life, that is the joy of the Lord. That's what it is. Joy is deep fulfillment and peace that is rooted in the goodness of God. It anchors us in the midst of the hardships of life because we trust that God's mercy and his salvation and eternal life are ours. And so I want to live with that kind of joy. How about you? Right? I want to be able to weather the storms of life, and I know our world needs that too. And so let's think for a few minutes about how is joy different than other emotions, um, and how can we nurture joy in our lives and in the world around us? So what's unique about joy, especially how is it different than happiness? Happiness is wonderful, so I'm not trying to pit happiness and joy against each other, um, but it is important to differentiate between things that bring temporary happiness compared with joy that allows us to weather the seasons of life. So a lot of good things bring happiness, like our banana bread and wordle, and you have your things that make you happy too because they entertain us, right? They make us smile. They provide some kind of lovely yet temporary pleasure. Happiness, it comes and goes rapidly depending on our situation and what we're consuming. But in contrast, joy is different, right? Joy springs from our relationship with God not our circumstances. This is really different, that it springs from this place of relationship with God, whatever is happening around us. So joy has lasting power because it flows from the power of God within us, even in some of our most difficult times. So in scripture, joy is coupled with being in the presence of the Lord. And in the New Testament, it's described as one of, one of those uh, gifts that comes with the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I like to say that joy exists on a field beyond the immediate here and now. It's somehow sort of transcending the here and now. And sometimes to find that joy, we have to change where we're looking. Uh, when I was fresh out of seminary, I had my first job in ministry and was a dream job in many ways. It was exactly what I thought I wanted to do because I was working with brilliant people and I had new challenges all the time. I should have been so happy, but I was so miserable. I was overwhelmed quickly. I mean, it took a few days, but quickly. I was completely overwhelmed. I just carried this weight of feeling like a failure all the time. Um, I just didn't know what I was doing, and it really, really weighed on me. And so within a matter of weeks in this new job, 
I was just a wreck and I wasn't enjoying my work and I couldn't even enjoy things outside. There was just like this cloud over me, right? And so my, my husband, John, he saw me getting pulled into this spiral, this dark spiral of worry that I am really prone to experiencing, but it was especially bad at that point. So one afternoon when I was um, really suffering, he came into my office and he said, we are going to the Arboretum this afternoon. And I said, oh no, no, we are not. Uh, there's no way. One, I was swamped. And two, I had never heard of the Arboretum and it didn't sound that great. So if I was going to skip out on work, no. Now, I love the Arboretum now, but at that time, I did not. So I didn't know what I was missing, I guess. So, um, but I was really having a hard day and John lovingly convinced me that this might actually be helpful. So I cried the whole way there. I cried the whole way there. That's, that is what a dark place I was in. Um, but John was right. Getting outside of my head and into the beauty of God's creation caused me to awaken to God's presence with me. I've just felt this stabilizing peace, this unexpected joy as I softened to God's faithful mercy that had been carrying me all along. Right, Just as he cares for every lily of the field. Don't you love that in the Gospels when it says he cares for every lily of the field. Just he cared for every flower I was looking at in that garden. He surrounded me too. I just felt that he had me too. And so it was a spiritual experience that I cannot fully put into words. I'm trying. I don't know if I'm communicating it clearly. But it was just one of those most profound moments of joy that I can recall. Now, my circumstances did not change. In fact, things got harder at work, and I really continued to struggle there. But I had a renewed joy that grounded me as I kept turning to God for strength. So that day was a powerful reminder to me that joy is not something that we can muster up in our own efforts, but it is something that we can invite. Right? It's a gift from the Holy Spirit that helps us see beyond the present moment. In the New Testament, um, joy is named as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The, this transforming power of God uh, is described as one of the fruits of the Spirit. So in Galatians 5.22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, this, this is a really interesting list to me because think about it. Love, forbearance, uh, faithfulness, these are all relational action words. And joy is nestled in there. Do you notice that? Right? These are all action words, the way that we uh, interact with others. And then there's joy. Is that a mistake? I do not think so. Right? I think it is absolutely there because joy is a relational action too. Now we can't force feelings of joy, right? So it's not a deliberate action in that sense, but we can live joyfully in our relationships, meaning we can relate to God and to one another with gratitude and with hope, right? So this idea that we can live in ways that are joyful despite our circumstances. And then a second way that joy is different than pleasure or happiness is that joy often lives alongside discouragement, grief, confusion, or other pain. So just as we saw that previous list uh, of, of ways that joy is nestled in there, I think joy is also nestled here, 
right? That when we're feeling discouragement, when we're feeling grief and pain, sometimes joy shows up in unexpected ways because it transcends our circumstances. So scripture gives a number of examples where the presence of God allowed people to be anchored by joy in hard situations, just like you may have found this or witnessed it in other people. So one example is when uh, Jesus is crucified, died, he's buried, Mary Magdalene and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus go to the tomb and they find it empty. It's confusing. And then they have a terrifying encounter with an angel of the Lord. And what uh, scripture tells us in Matthew 28 is that after that encounter, the women hurried away from the tomb afraid. They're feeling afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. They're living in this space of total confusion. What is going on? Yet they have this joy. The joy can live in these places. And in fact, Jesus anticipated for the disciples uh, in John 16, he described that there was going to be grief, confusion, and joy that would be coming because uh, of his death. He tried to prepare them. So uh, in John 16, Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And he gives this example. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, are there any women out there who can testify to that simultaneous pain and joy as we bring these little ones into the world, right? It's a powerful reminder of how uh, we might um, sort of have that simultaneous experience of being able to see beyond the present moment. So even though we don't forget that at one time we had pain, we forget that we are feeling it, right? That we are able to remember pain as we think of it experienced through this lens of joy, it changes our perspective. And so in the same way, what Jesus is doing is preparing his followers for time of hardship and grief, but he assures them that their joy will be complete as the kingdom of God is established. So it is possible to experience joy and hardship, but I want to say something very clearly. So please listen to this uh, as I say it. It is okay to not feel happy all the time. Right? Can we just let that out right now? Just like give yourself permission. Uh, you do not have to be happy. You do not have to be joyful at all times. It is not a sign of weak faith. It's a sign that we are human and that we are just like the singers of the Psalms who expressed a huge range of emotions, including despair, confusion, anger, and more. All of the emotions that are captured in the Psalms are part of our walk with God. So joy is one of those emotions, but it's also okay to lament. It's okay to be confused or angry or to even question God. So let's not put on a mask of insincere happiness. I worry that Christians sometimes feel this pressure to always act happy as some kind of proof that God is with us. And this pressure... um, can be experienced in unique ways, I think, for women. Uh, When I was an undergraduate at the University of Minnesota, I was walking between classes, it's a big campus, and I was deeply engrossed in thought, right, I probably just come from some uh, philosophy class or something, and I had my furrowed brows, my thinking face. Um, I probably need a sign that says, I'm not angry, I'm just thinking, because I'm always kind of like this. And uh, some random guy, a stranger I didn't know, walked up to me and said, you'd be a lot prettier if you smiled. 
Yes, maybe. Um, I have seen the thinking face and I know what it looks like, so fine. But the problems inherent in a stranger coming up and telling me that I should smile, there's like a whole hour conversation there that I could have with you. For now, I'm using it as an example that there are pressures on us all of us at times, to appear happy, whether it's that someone else wants us to decorate their world, or if we think about social media, for example, right? When we look at social media and it appears as though everyone else is happy, we start to feel this pressure like, well, I guess I am supposed to look happy too. If we think about marketing, um, use this product and you will be happy because you should be happy, right? There's just constant pressure that makes us start to feel obligated to fake happiness for a whole host of reasons. But performing happiness is not the key to nurturing joy. In fact, it might do just the opposite because our energy gets sucked into living a fake life. So being honest with how we feel will be a much healthier foundation for our relationship with God and with others. So it's okay to not feel happy all the time. But we acknowledge that we want joy, right? So we don't want to fake happiness, but how can we nurture the joy of the Lord in our lives? So let's think about that question. How can we nurture joy? Well, one of the first clearest things that scripture tells us is to love well. Sort of loving well and feeling joy are closely connected in scripture. So realizing that joy isn't this inward focused thing that I can possess for myself alone. Rather, it's a way of relating to one another that elevates our love for God and our love for others. So in John 15, Uh, Jesus says this, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus wants his joy to be complete in us. And it is through the ways that we can love one another just as he loved us that we experience this joy. Our joy flows, it springs from our relationship with Jesus and is related to our love of one another. So when I was preparing this message, I asked our 11-year-old daughter Miriam for her thoughts about joy because Miriam is just joy with an exclamation point, right? If you know Miriam, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know her, you will know her when you meet her. Uh, She is sitting down here. Uh, And Miriam uh, was very happy to oblige when I asked her for her thoughts because she sat down right away and wrote me a single-spaced five-page sermon on joy. Yeah, uh, in about an hour. Uh, She just cranked it out. And I read it, and it was just, it was so beautiful. And I asked her permission, which she granted, to share a part of her sermon uh, about joy that really stuck out to me. So I am going to share it with you. Here's what Miriam said. The amazing thing about joy is that you can choose to let it spread through you and then let it spread through other people too. Let it spread through your family, your friends, your cats, your dogs, your fish, anybody really, until finally joy spreads throughout your life. And the more and more you feel this feeling and spread it through other people, the more and more joyful you will feel. Miriam is wise, right? Oh, look at that. Miriam, your words are blessing people. 
Your words are bringing joy, right? Because when we trust the Holy Spirit and allow the joy of the Lord to guide our lives, it has this ripple effect on others, right? It does. When we live in ways that express God's love, others will be sort of drawn to experience this joy, which then increases our joy into God's presence too. And so joy grows, it replicates. That's the thing about joy. So the Apostle Paul didn't mention spreading joy to dogs and cats, although that is a really good point. Um, But he did describe the impact that the, the care of the church had on him in his time of difficulty. So in 2 Corinthians, he says this, I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul is in one of the hardest places of his life, but what he's saying is his joy becomes greater than ever through the care of the people of God for him. As people reach out and care for him, he experiences this joy as a reminder of God's presence. And so we can do that for one another. So that's one way, right? To nurture uh, joy is to, to love well. And then another way, as we're thinking about how can we nurture joy, is to celebrate with gratitude when we experience God's faithfulness in the big and the small things. This is what Psalm 126 teaches us, right? To remember, to celebrate those times that we know God has been at work. So just like the psalm singers remember God's faithfulness in Israel's history, When we feel lost and we feel joyless, we can recall what we know is true about God. So I wanna ask you this, do you have a time in your life where you know God was there for you? Like maybe it was a miraculous moment where you can just say, I know that was God. Or if you don't have one of those moments, you might be the kind of person that looks back at your life and you say, I have no idea how I made it to this point, except for God, right? Just like the whole of it taken together, like. God has been there. So whatever your story is, God has been with you. So put that song on repeat when you are feeling joyless, right? Whatever it is that has reminded you of God's presence, remember that. And then beyond our own experiences, we can think about how God has worked in history. We can think about God's creative acts, just like the psalmist or me at the Arboretum, right? We can find joy, the joy of the Lord and that flower that's sprouting up from the dry ground. So let's be in the practice of naming those moments of God's faithfulness when we're struggling because they become stabilizing buoys of hope for us. So as we review, when we think about how can we nurture joy, we can love well, we can celebrate God's past provision, and then finally we can trust in God's future faithfulness, right? That's that looking forward, um, expectant joy, if you will, that we can uh, trust that he will be with us regardless of what we are facing at the moment. So we will not always feel happy. The Psalms are clear about that, yet we long for joy. We long for fulfillment that will weather experiences of grief, discouragement, and confusion. And so as a church family, we really want to be there for each other, to hold hope for one another when we need joy. So if you are dealing with something really difficult, 
Um, I just wanna say, please don't struggle alone, right? That we have groups, we have people who wanna pray with you, we have pastors who wanna listen and provide resources. And so you can find more information uh, on our website or by connecting with someone after this service today, but let's be a community that grows together in joy as we make our way through the realities of life together. So as we uh, close, I wanna invite you to stand with me and I'm gonna pray. I'm going to pray uh, my own version of Psalm 126 with some adaptations to our lives. But let's give thanks for the way he's been with us and how he'll be with us in the future. Lord, we thank you for the times that you have restored our lives in the past. And so right now, as we quiet ourselves, we just ask that you would bring to mind those moments where you have made yourself so known where you've brought us out of those dry and dark places, and we give you thanks for that, Lord. Your grace is our source of joy, and we long for your renewing joy as we struggle with the hard things. We struggle with broken relationships, disappointments at work or financial stress, failing health. Lord, whatever it might be, we need you to bring water to those dry places and bring new life. And so, Lord, as we place our trust in you, may you fill us with songs of joy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.